0: Mothering spirit, nurturing one in arms of patience, hold me close so that in faith I might root and grow until I flower, until I know. Isn't that beautiful? Thank you for for that hymnody, the hymnody of the church. So often, hymnody of. That speaks to, the, uh, to who God is as many of the hymns and songs that we've chosen today, this Holy Trinity Sunday, speak to who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for the hymn writers of the church, aren't you, Robin Rosemary, and for those who um, continue to carry that forward. Um, I'm also thankful for Brett Henson, who is our reader today. And if Brett falls asleep during the sermon, you'll understand he and Lauren have just had a baby. And so congratulations to you all, we're so very happy for you and can't wait to, make, to meet that, that little girl. Um, and before we get started, if you don't mind, we, um, so if you're timing my sermon, you can't start yet because we're still in the prelude of the sermon, is that okay? <laughs> Before we get started, we want to give thanks today for all those who have died for the sake of freedom. It's Memorial Day weekend after all, and uh, although most of us have never lost a loved one to the effects of war, we are here today um, thanks in large part to their, um, to their sacrifice. I don't know if Bill Kennerly is here today or not, but Bill is a member of our congregation. And several years ago, you might remember, he shared a, a, some stories of families who lost loved ones in battle. One was a man named Archie Rufty, also a member of this congregation who many of you knew, um, who lost his brother, Joe, in World War II. He was so affected by his death that he named his son after his brother in his brother's honor. Well, in memory, sadly, two wars later, his son also was killed, killed in the field of battle in Vietnam, only 24 years old. His widow, Jane, now Jane Rowland, also a member here, asked Bill if he would escort the body from Vietnam to its grave at Chestnut Hill just down the road. Bill did so, of course, with honor. No doubt, friends, as we think through this day and, and the effects of, of a day like this, what we honor, um, some have sacrificed more than others. We know that. Today, we give thanks for all. Now you can start your watches. You ready? Today is also, and I don't know if you knew this or not, but it's this 1,000th or so anniversary of the Holy Trinity Sunday, Sunday of the Holy Trinity. And I know you have been waiting with bated breath for this day for just so long. I just know it. Last I heard, though, Seasons Gifts is sold out of all the t-shirts and the commemorative mugs, so you're sort of out of luck there, but, you know, who knows. We can still turn to one another, to our neighbors, and say, Happy Holy Trinity. Go ahead and do that. Happy Holy Trinity. Good for you. Today, we get to celebrate and remember our favorite names like Athanasius and Origen, Arius and Constantine. We retell stories about the Council of Nicaea. We pull out old words like homoousius and monganese. We'll pick sides and we'll debate whether we're an adoptionist or an Arianist, a Trinitarian or a non-Trinitarian. We'll argue and fight about who's right and who's wrong. And and I tell you what, those of you on the wrong side of the debate, we're going to exile you, we're going to imprison you, and we're going to torture you because that's what we did 1,700 years ago when we were debating things like this, these very basic questions of who is God. We fought to the finish, no matter the cost. Sounds crazy, but it's true. Consider a man named Arius. Arius was a man who lost the argument and the debate in 325 A.D. during the Council of Nicaea. Now, Arius was a popular bishop of the day. This is 1,700 years ago, keep in mind, uh, who taught that Jesus was like God, but not fully God. Those who followed His teachings were Arianists, and they became highly controversial, so much so that the emperor of the entire Roman Empire, if you can believe it or not, convened a conference of all the world's bishops in order to settle that very question after much debate. Arius was charged with heresy. He was exiled for 10 years and then finally allowed to return to his home only to be poisoned in the public square, writhing in utter pain and humiliation until finally his violent death on the streets of his, of his hometown in full view. <laughs> All to find the answer to a pretty basic question Who is God? No doubt, we should wrestle with important questions like that. I get it. But it's frustrating, isn't it? How often we do so with such vitriol and violence, with, with hatred and sometimes even death. Even now, over the issues of the day, whatever those issues are, let's say immigration or guns or, or race, whatever they may be, we do the same kind of thing. When, when will we heed the words of Jesus? And later prophets like Martin Luther King, Jr., that that we are to be harbingers and stewards of of a beloved community, a community that that begins and ends such conversations in love for one another, in relationship with one another, especially when we're asking the question, who is God? It's a question that's been asked for centuries, I would would guess, that it's a question every single generation has asked um, and wrestled with a response which is why um, the Sunday of the Holy Trinity I think is particularly interesting because it begs us to wrestle with that question again and uh, to wrestle also with the answer, who is God? And here's the answer that they crafted 1,700 years ago. You ready for this? Um, After that battle with Arius, they decided the council of Nicaea this response… God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Trinity, three persons, but one substance, mysteriously bound together in relationship, one with the other, together as God, begotten, not made, present since the beginning of time. Bear with me, friends. This is stuff that we've already sort of assumed all this time, but it took nearly 300 years to develop this kind of, of language. This, this God, and this is where they, they came up with it all, this God who was first introduced to us in Genesis chapter 1, you remember those first words of Scripture, in the beginning God created, which tells about the beginning of the world, and the careful, the very methodical, the very deliberate way in which God created this world, blowing God's Holy Spirit, the Ruach of God, blowing over the face of the earth, the deep, in order to bring life from within it, in the first words then of John's gospel. So, we have the first words of the Old Testament, and now the first words of the New Testament in John's gospel. Jesus is introduced as the Word that existed in the beginning, and this Word, Jesus, was God, John writes describing this beautiful, mysterious relationship between God the Creator, God the Spirit, God the Son, one God, the whole eternity, bound in relationship. And then back to Genesis chapter 1, you've heard this verse, that this very same God created us in His own image within the beauty of that mysterious relationship. What does all that mean for you and for me? Why do we really care about that stuff still on this Holy Trinity Day um, so many years later? Well, it matters because it tells us something very, very important about God, that relationship is at the very heart of who God is. That healthy, faithful, loving relationship matters more to God than anything else. I mean, since the very beginning of time, on the first days of creation, God has been drawing us in, has been welcoming us into the beauty and joy of that very relationship. Here's how the earliest theologians and teachers of the church described it. They created this beautiful imagery calling it the dance of the Holy Trinity. You and I have been welcomed into that dance. That's God's great desire. But is it but it hasn't always been ours, unfortunately. A number of years ago, um, some, some young adults were asked about their most important life goals. And, and 80% of them, this is the Gallup poll, 80% of them said this, quote, to get rich. <laughs> and then a 50% said to be famous. Why? They asked, well, their response, it's the most predict- predictable path to a happy life. Well, interestingly enough, this past year, the same set of questions was asked of recent high school and college graduates. Now, these graduates will forever be known as the COVID class, right, Uh, who they had to navigate their way through quarantining and online learning and the absence of social activity. So, they were asked, what are the most important life goals? Their response, to have good relationships to have good friends. My, how wise they are. Eighty years ago, researchers at Harvard began a study that has become the longest study of adults um, ever to be conducted. It's called the Harvard Longitudinal Study of Adult Development. And I know you all are just going to rush out and grab hold of the copy, that journal that describes this study. Let me summarize it. (laughs) The goal was to to determine if there was a common factor that makes us healthier and happier. So for 80 years, it's really a phenomenal study. For 80 years, they tracked the lives of 724 men year after year after year, um, asking about their work, their home, their life, their health, and and then uh, engaging them in tests regarding their health. There were two different groups of men. One was a group of sophomores from Harvard. The other was a group of Bo- from Boston's poorest neighborhoods. Every two years, both men from both groups uh, were tested, asked the same questions, and then they were assigned a score uh, that related to their overall health and happiness. What did they learn? That's obviously what's most important. What makes someone healthier? What makes someone happier? Is there a common denominator? Well, as it turns out according to the study, yes, there is. But interestingly enough, it has absolutely nothing to do with wealth or fame, with work or with possessions. The common denominator was this, good relationships keep us happier and healthier, period. The study concluded this. People who are more socially connected to family, friends, and social community are happier, healthier, and live longer than those who are not, regardless of your net worth or your vocation. So, if you want a good life, enjoy a good relationship. It's not about how much you invest in your portfolio, it's how much you invest in each other. Now, I'm thankful for studies like that, right? For a Harvard study that took years and lots of people and lots of money but give me a break. God's been trying to tell us that forever, right? I mean, on every page of Scripture, God unpacks that very core truth that the good life is built with good relationships. For example, quickly, Um, When God formed a relationship with Abraham, you remember the father, widely called the father of our faith. This is in uh, Genesis chapter 12 and following. God called that, the relationship that He was forming with Abraham and with us, a covenant. Now, Abraham only understood the word contract. He was confused. So, God explained that a contract is a transaction something that you get in exchange for something else. But a covenant is a relationship. Specifically, it's about you and me forming an us. (laughs) Rabbi Jonathan Sachs is someone who I've just sort of um, really enjoyed a lot lately. He's written extensively about this particular story in, in Genesis, and he, and he says that why, he says that's why contracts benefit and why covenants transform. In other words, God knows that our lives are best transformed through good, healthy, loving relationships. Why are we talking about all this? Well, look, are you sensing that there might be something that's? empty or missing even in your life, that there might be a void or maybe simply that you're feeling a bit unsettled. Well, start by asking yourself, where do I spend most of my time, in contracts or in covenants, in building your business or in building healthy relationships? Well, God wants you to know that the good life is built with good what? relationships. I mean, think about it. When Jesus was asked what's the most important commandment of all, do you remember this? From Matthew chapter 22, He said to love God and to love one another. In other words, a vertical relationship with God and a horizontal relationship with one another, right? That's the most important thing of all. Why? Because the good life is built with good relationships. Thank you very much. I want to tell you a story. This is a story that Norman told me just a few weeks ago. It's it's the story of one of the greatest prize fighters of all time. His name was Joe Lewis. Ever heard of Joe Lewis? Yeah, he's known as the Boston Bomber, born in Chambers County, Alabama in 1914. Keep the dates in mind. He became one of the country's great fighters, and as a 22-year-old, he was, he was given the opportunity, this is 1936, before the war, right, would begin, um, he was given the chance to fight the great German chance, uh, champion Max Schmeling. Uh, it was just, this is just made for a movie, isn't it? Uh, it? Well he lost in 14 rounds, Joe Lewis lost, but there was immediately great anticipation for when they would fight again. And sure enough, two years later, they, a rematch was scheduled with the World Boxing Championship on the line. Uh, interestingly enough, 1938, you know who's paying attention, right? Hitler, in particular, was so very eager to prove once again uh, Germany's might. But Americans, no, they were here to prove him wrong. 70,000 people showed up in Yankee Stadium to watch this thing, and 58% of all the radios in America were tuned into it. And sure enough, in one of the greatest sporting events of the 20th century, Joe Lewis knocked him out in two minutes and four seconds. How about that? What an exciting event. Joe Lewis won the rematch. Hitler was not happy, to say the least. These two foes would never see each other in the ring again. But here's what's interesting, and, that's, and this is why this story is particularly telling. During World War II, Lewis was drafted to be in the army, and Schmeling was drafted to be a paratrooper with the German Luftwaffe. Both survived, and after the war they took up uh, uh, their own sort of lives in their respective countries. But it wasn't long before Max tracked down Joe Lewis, called him on the phone, and they quickly started to form a relationship beyond the boxing ring. It became a lifelong relationship, so rich and loving that when Joe Lewis died in 1981, Schmeling paid for his funeral and served as a pallbearer." I'm not sure, I have to admit, that that's the perfect Holy Trinity uh, story, but it's a great story about relationships, nevertheless, and of how intentional we have to be if we are to form good relationships. You see, a lot of us say that there are way too many obstacles, there are way too many things that stand in the way, but Max and Joe, uh, they would say, baloney! Come on! Hitler was standing in our way, the war was standing in our way, but they persisted, and they formed one of this past century's great relationships. I am fully aware that trying to define God with one word is tricky. It's far more complicated than that, no doubt, but it is worth noting, I do believe, It's worth noting that when the Bible defines God, it begins with one word, and so should we, relationship. Because the bottom line is this, God wants for you a happy, a healthy life, and that good life is built with good relationships. Amen.